following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Well, um, today's special day, um, we have the newest member of our church family is here this morning. Now, you say his name out loud because I've said it wrong every time. What's Callan? Okay, so Alan. Right. <laughs> Callan, welcome. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for how you are at work among us. We thank you, Lord, for Callan for bringing him to our family. Thank you for blessed Timmy and Natalie with this little boy and and all his brothers and sisters, Lord. We're so grateful. Lord, we thank you for the chance to be together as a family this morning. Turn our attention to your word. We pray, Father, that your spirit would be at work on our hearts as we consider the things that you have written and preserved for us over thousands of years for us to learn and learn to live more like Jesus. So we pray, Father, your spirit would be doing that work among us now. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Well, I have um, have to admit that um, sometimes when I come to Scripture, I am left with more questions than answers. Um, my questions, um, and thinking about this text we're going to look at this morning, my questions are not really about the meaning of the text, because I think the meaning is fairly clear. My questions have more to do with the consequences, or the implications of the text. Meaning, if the text means thus, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? And wrestling with the meaning and implications of Scripture, um, that's that's my job, right? And I'm happy to do it, but sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult not because it's difficult to understand, though I have my days. That's challenging. But it's mostly difficult because understanding or discovering the meaning of the text sometimes means that things in my life need to change. Priorities need to be re-evaluated and possibly re-aligned. That's the part that's difficult. What is difficult is examining our life priorities. What are my goals? What are God's goals for me? And I say me, but I mean you. And me, I guess. Mostly you. <laughs> Just leave me alone. Yeah. So I'll ask you to think about this. What is your main goal in life? Most of us, I think, if we evaluate our behavior in order to determine our goals, what we're really after in life, would prove that our goal in life really is just to survive. Just make another day. 
right? Make sure our family is fed. Make sure that we don't get fired from work or that we don't freeze to death. And these are not bad goals. I hope you share them. They're perfectly reasonable, and I don't point them out so anybody feel guilty for having them. Survival is very important. Um, although n- none of us do make it out of this life alive, I suppose, but we try our best. But what do you think God's goals for us are? I think probably survival is a small, pretty small piece of the puzzle. Jesus made it very clear that the birds are fed by God and flowers are clothed by God. We don't need to worry about those things. We can't lengthen our lives by worrying about Him. We certainly won't improve life by worrying about these things. So, what is God's goal for us as Christians? I'm convinced that God's goal for us as Christians, is to follow Christ and live the way that he prescribed for us in his word. To submit to his will and to his way. And I think probably most of you would agree with me on that. We are in church after all. That's a very churchy answer. That's the kind of thing that we're supposed to say, right? But when we examine our lives... Does what we say now match up with how we live? This question bothers me. And these questions are not unrelated to our text in 2 Timothy 2 either. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 through 26. That's page 996 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. And we're going to consider these and some more questions as we look at this text. Second hmm. Timothy 2, start of verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And a Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. May God's blessing be on his word. The good news is is that you're all off the hook, right? This is a passage just to pastors, just to Timothy. Don't have to worry about it. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) You're wrong. So I have another question for you. This, I, I can't tell you what was happening in my spirit writing this sermon this week. That doesn't make any sense to me now, but I'll keep asking the questions and trust the Lord. <laughs> my question for you is why do fighters train to fight? Don't they train so they can win? Right? To defeat their opponent? To overcome their adversary? Now, I'm not to say this to be critical, but this is why my kids don't take karate. What's the point? Oh, defend yourself. (laughs) Sure it is. (laughs) You ever met a kid? It's not. It's to beat people up. We have a video game at home. You might want to come up here and finish the sermon if you want, Daniel. That's fine. 
We have a video game at home. It's a fighting game. I don't condemn these things, but it's silly. Where you pick a superhero and you work your way through this story of overcoming some big bad guy. Uh, I don't even remember his name. Brainy, brainy face. Brainy egg, whatever. Doesn't matter. You work through your, you work your way through this story. Uh, you can pick whatever superhero you want. And you gain allies by beating them up. Right? It's silly, right? You meet Aquaman. Aquaman doesn't want to help you. So you beat him up and then he's like, okay, we're friends now. I'll help. <laughs> yeah. Off you go to battle the next guy. So he'll be on your friend. He'll be your friend now. Right? Take on the flash. Beat him up. Now we're friends. That's how, that, that's how the game goes. Well. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but that's not how life really works, especially for those who belong to Christ. We do live in an age where there are fights to be fought. Biblical morality is cast aside as irrelevant in our culture, as people clamor to pass laws that make it legal to kill babies even after they're born and redefine or reassign gender in children is terrible. But this is the world we live in. And Paul's instruction to Timothy here is not to avoid the fight. It's to fight the battles worth fighting and avoid the ones that aren't. Verse 23 defines the fights not worth fighting. He says, "...have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies." you know that they breed quarrels. Well, these Greek words are much more fun than the English words our translators so politely put them in. This should say something more like, have nothing to do with moronic and uneducated, forceful differences of opinion without a presumed goal of a solution. That's the literal meaning of the word moronic. Seriously, the Greek word is moros. That's where it comes from. Silly arguments. Moronic arguments. Uneducated, forceful differences of opinion without a presumed goal of seeking a solution. It's fighting just to fight. Hmm. Now, I'm sure that you are unaware of any type of argument that might go like that. There's... We don't have to worry about that here. These arguments within the church may be doctrinal, they may be practical, they may be preferential. But even the right answer is not helpful or advantageous in any way. How many angels can stand on the head of a pin? So, well, okay, so what if the answer is five? So what? It makes no difference at all, right? Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the church loves this sort of thing. Let's fight about these things. And even when I prove that I'm right and you're wrong, we are still no better off because of it. What mode of baptism did the early church um, exercise? Was it immersion? Was it sprinkling? Was it pouring? If it's immersion, were they immersed backwards or forwards? Was it forward three times? These are arguments that have been held over the centuries. And there simply isn't enough information 
to know for sure. Arguments can be made for one or the other. But even if we come up with a definitive answer, does it really help us in accomplishing God's mission for the church? No, No, thank you. The answer is no. These are endless arguments that have been argued and are still being argued that aren't really helpful to us at all. It may be interesting or educational or even entertaining to discuss differing views on different topics, but we must not let those discussions and debates distract us from God's plan and purpose for the church. We must learn to ask the questions of these debates. So what if you're right? What difference does it make? This is an easy way to filter out these discussions. Discussions are fine, but controversies are not. Quarreling leads only to division, to animosity, and to destruction of church families. I can't tell you stories, but I'm not going to. I'm really tempted but I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. So what if I'm right? It doesn't make any difference. Nothing good will come of it. Fighters train to fight so they can win. And winning is fine if you're fighting the right fight. Foolish and ignorant controversies that arise from ignorance and unanswerable questions without the goal of a solution are unfruitful at best and destructive to church families at worst. They are to be avoided at all costs. The instruction here in God's word is don't get involved. It's like fighting on Facebook, right? You in that fight? No, everybody loses a fight on Facebook. You can't do it right. No matter how sharp your jabs, you're never going to win anybody over. Because that's not really the goal, is it? It's just to prove how sharp your tongue can be and how clever you are. As long as you make other people feel foolish for disagreeing with you, you win. Right? Stupid. Shun this foolishness. That's not what we're supposed to be about. If this is a temptation to you and every time you see something on Facebook you disagree with and you just have to throw something in there, please delete your Facebook. You're better off. Everyone is. That's not what I came to tell you. But it won't hurt. So what are we supposed to be about? If we are to shun this foolishness, what are we supposed to be about? Look at verse 24. And a Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You know, I have friends, that's my prayer for them, that they would wake up from their slumber, their stupor, and see. But I know that making snarky comments about their opinions is not going to do the job. Now, we know that Paul is instructing Timothy 
directly and through him leaders within the churches. But in truth, we all share in his these instructions because we all as Christians are servants of the Lord. And Paul contrasts the combatant to the controlled. The combatant and the controlled. The word here translated servant, hmm, you might not like it. It's, it means to be completely controlled by someone else. Completely submitted to the will of someone else. Now this is a very un-American idea. Not a very New Englander type of scenario. But it's the word. It's the truth. The other word, translated quarrelsome, means to violently clash, to struggle, to fight, intensive and bitter conflict. Now, we are to be one and not the other, simply put. As those who are submitted to God's will, as servants of the Lord, we are not to go around ready to pounce on everyone who disagrees with us. Always be ready to argue, right? Always ready to squash our opponents. Beat them to death with the truth if you must. No. Winning fights to prove that we are better or smarter or more clever than our opponents is not to be our mode of operation or our goal. If we must fight, we must fight not merely to win, but to win over our opponent. And you don't do that with force. You do that with love. And that's what Paul describes in the rest of the verse. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but kind. Kind to everyone. Allies and adversaries alike. That means the person shouting and waving a sign. You are not yell back at them, but love them. I don't know exactly how that would look while you're standing on the steps of the Capitol, yelling at each other. I don't know. The word kind there also means gentle. Like it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's kind to everyone. That's what it means. Like a caring for your own children. The servants of the Lord are to be kind and gentle, open and approachable, not cold or harsh or scary, but welcoming. The idea is that though people may vehemently disagree with you and your opinions on things, they still can't help but love you because you are lovable. It sounds an awful lot like rule number one. Don't be a jerk. I've saw it again this past week. Sometimes the best mode of evangelism is letting people know that you're a follower of Christ and not being a total jerk. That's biblical, my friends. Here it is. It's exactly what we're talking about. Though people disagree with you, they can help love you because of how you treat them. The servants of the Lord are to be kind to everyone and also able to teach. And though formal teaching within the church is reserved for certain people, and, and that's a whole nother discussion, again, how many angels stand on the head of the bin? We are all called to teach the truth of God's Word. 
Do you know that? This is your calling just as well as mine. And it's the truth of God's word. That's the secret ingredient. We teach it as we live it. We teach our understanding of God's word as we live. And so when our lives don't line up with God's word, we're teaching exactly how we feel about the truth. Sometimes our whatevers are more important to us, our desires or our thoughts. Sometimes we prove by our lives that they're more important. That's not how we are to live. The secret ingredient in this is the facts. I know not everybody likes to deal with those. But the secret ingredient is the facts of God's word. I have made it my aim in my life of preaching to discover what God's word actually says. Uh, We can think of a million traditions based on what we heard somebody say once, or this is the way we've always done it, and so it must be right. It must be biblical to have pews instead of stumps to sit on because we've always had them, right? So what if you are right? (laughs) It doesn't matter. But I've made my aim in preaching, again, to discover what God's Word actually says. What are the true facts? What is the real meaning? Not feelings and not opinions. What does God's Word actually say? And this can boil down to simple things. I don't wear a a suit when I preach. Why? God's Word doesn't tell me to wear a suit or really address the issue at all. I don't like wearing suits. And so here we are. And that's obviously spilled out on you guys. Look at you. (laughs) That's how you know I love you. That's not biblical either, but... I'll try to be kinder in the future. We could argue about it if you want. So what if we're right? It's again, it's a foolish controversy. It doesn't help you at all. Hmm. I've said this before, that I get asked my opinion on things, on issues, all the time. What do you think about this? What I think is that my opinion counts for absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter what I think. It's the Lord's opinion that matters. What does the Bible say about this thing or that thing? Whatever. His opinions are recorded in his word. And if what he thinks about things matters more, then we should go to his word and find out what he thinks. But it's been said that you can never keep a good argument going with facts. Facts ruin a good argument. That's the truth. In order for us to live this way, we must be better versed in Scripture. We must know what God's Word actually says, or at least know where to start looking, or at least be willing to look. If you say, well, I know it says it in there somewhere, do better. We can work on it. And you're not alone in that. I know the Bible says it's a phrase that sounds something like, you know, Thou shalt, whatever. And you can't figure it out. You can 
call somebody, ask for help, phone a friend, go to Google if you must. The resources are there. We must know what the Bible actually says about these things. We must be versed in the facts of Scripture and be ready to articulate them. If you feel like you're unequipped to do that, a Sunday morning is not enough or that Monday nights is Bible studies, right? Both here and at the parsonage. You can join in. That's the whole goal of those studies to get better verse on God's Word. The servants of the Lord are to be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Patiently enduring evil. That does not sound any fun at all. And truth is not. Well, here's some facts for you. Patiently enduring evil, the true definition is tolerance. This is the true definition of the word tolerance. Patiently enduring evil. Now, to be clear, that's not patiently enduring sin like I'm going to tolerate your choices, sinful choices, because the Bible tells me to. No, not at all. This, to patiently endure evil, is to not tolerate the evil itself, but rather to bear up in the face of evil and opposition without becoming angry. This is to love people who live in a way that is evil. You should do it because other people do it for you. I, that was supposed to be funny. Uh, it's, not, it's all in the presentation. My mic on? And hello? This, to bear up in the face of evil and opposition without becoming angry. That's the point. Someone disagrees with you on your stance in Scripture and you disagree with them. How do you react? Do you fight until everybody's mad and you lose a friend? What good does that do? None. As Ray Stedman pointed out, this is not based on our own individual willpower, but from calling on divine aid to resist responding in kind to our attackers. We can't beat people up and expect them to be our friends like some video game. That's not how it works. That's not how we fight those aren't the battles we fight anyway. Patiently enduring evil, standing up and bearing up under opposition, that's not something we can pull off on our own. Even if we all stand together, if it's just us, we can't do it. We need to call on God for help. That's the only way to bear up under evil in the face of evil and opposition. So how do we fight then? I'm pretty much telling you, don't fight, don't fight, bear up. Hold your, hold your tongue. Keep your hands in your pockets. Look at verse 25. Speaking of the servant of the Lord. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Correct his opponents with gentleness. I don't know why kindness is translated kindness when it means gentleness, and gentleness is translated gentleness when it means meekness. I don't know why they do that. 
This gentleness here, meekness. Be meek. And what idea does that conjure in your mind? Mousy and quiet. I don't want to step on anybody's toes or just mind my own business. Casper milk toast. That's the meek. No. It's not wimpy. It's not mousy. It's selfless. Selfless in our correction. Meekness is simply power under control. We are not to be stubborn or insistent on our own way for the sake of pride. To gently correct our opponent is the equivalent to training children. Have you ever noticed, those of you who have ever met a child or are raising children or have raised children, that just telling a kid to do something just because you said so is relatively ineffective? It's, uh, it's, it's hard to get long-term results. Don't flush the whole roll of toilet paper. Why not? Because I told you not to. Uh, okay. That, maybe. Not terribly effective. Ray Stedman again told a story about his grandkids and how they used to leave their bikes leaned up on the steps. Now, I know none of you kids do this because we don't have enough spring and summer to ride bikes here. After telling them repeatedly, don't leave your bike leaned up on a step where people have to trip over it and old people fall and hurt themselves. He never instructed them where to put them, just where not to put them. Again, not terribly effective. So he gently showed the kids one day where to leave them, where to leave the bikes leaned up when they were done riding and said, isn't this just as easy to put them where they belong as to where they don't? Where no one has to step over them? If only everything were that easy, that simple. When we answer an opponent with gentleness and respect, Instead of getting all worked up and angry and red in the face, with the Spirit's help, God may just allow that person to change. Now, this is God's job to change people. We can't change people. Again, so what if you're right? In a lot of the fights that we are called a fight, we are right. However, that doesn't always convince our opponents. Usually it doesn't. But God is the one that changes hearts. Not us. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God may perhaps not because he has, or he, God may perhaps not change their hearts because he has designs and plans that we can neither see nor understand. But he may allow them to change their minds and change their attitudes so they might see and accept and follow the truth. We don't know. I'm relatively positive that he won't allow repentance through your snarky yet clever barbs on the internet in the comment section. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, servants of the Lord. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil 
after being captured by him to do his will. God may allow our opponents to repent, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come from their, come to their senses, to awake from their drunken stupor, is the literal meaning of the word. That stupor is driven by pride and blinded by our enemy, so that they can escape from the snare of the devil and avoid the destruction that the enemy had designed for them. When you fight, what's the purpose? What's your goal? What's your aim? God's aim is rescuing people from the snare of the devil, rescuing captives. That should be our aim in fighting the fights that ought to be fought, not just to win, but to win over our opponents, not to prove that we're right, but to shine the light on those who are trapped in darkness. So I ask you again, what is your goal in life? What is God's goal for you as a Christian? It is to follow Christ and live according to His way as described in His Word by what Scripture actually says. So how will following this instruction on dealing with disagreements and dealing with people who see things differently actually change our lives? This text is not difficult because it's difficult to understand. It's not. It's clear, though it is challenging. It is difficult because the discovering the meaning of this text might just mean that things need to change. Priorities need to be reevaluated and possibly realigned. That's what's difficult. But with his help, we call on divine aid, he will help us do it and make changes for his glory and for our good and the good of his church. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word that you have not left us without instructions on how you want us to live. And Lord, I think each one of us in different ways faces situations, uh, people that oppose us or oppose you, oppose your word, oppose biblical Christianity. Lord, I pray that you would give grace to each of us as we deal with these different situations to hold our tongue when it's right and to speak when it's right but to avoid the foolish and ignorant controversies and quarreling. May we focus on the fights that need to be fought and ignore the ones that don't because they don't matter at all. God, we ask for your divine aid in each of these situations that we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that we would know your word better so we would know your opinion on matters. We don't have to worry so much about our own, but we would focus on what you say is right and what you say is wrong and take our instruction from that.
Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower your church to speak the truth in love, that we would be gentle and kind, looking to win over our opponents and not just to win a fight, so that they may be set free from the snare of the devil. And they come to know you as Savior and Lord. We love you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.